Diane, it's 7.24 p.m. Welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. I'm Ashley Brandt. I am Matthew Olson. Hello, listeners. We're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 16, The Condemned Woman. Mm-hmm. And... Gosh darn it. It's a... It's an episode of Twin Peaks, all right. Um, in a lot of in a lot of different ways, some good, many not so good. Uh, Ashley, do you have anything you want to bring up before we get into meat of this episode? Yeah. So there is no news this week, but I did want to bring up this semi-off-topic thing that I think you'll appreciate. Okay. So I spooked myself out too hard last night reading about scary stuff on the internet. All right. And then as I was going to bed, I like wanted to put something on for to like distract myself. And I was like extremely, extremely tired and delirious. And most of the comedy podcasts I listen to have a propensity for going to dark places. So I was like, okay, I need something different. So I put on an episode of The Worst Idea of All Time or whatever that podcast is Uh called. It's called that. And played that through the whole night Uh as I spooked myself out in my sleep. Yeah. Uh, For those at home who are unfamiliar... The Worst Idea of All Time is a podcast where two comedians from New Zealand, uh, depending on which season you're listening to, are either uh, watching the movie Grown Ups 2, starring Adam Sandler and Kevin James and Chris Rock and some other people, uh, once a week for a year, or they're watching Sex and the City 2, starring, of course, the cast of Sex and the City, but that movie is two and a half hours long and has like a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, they're doing that for a whole year. They're about to finish up that season. Uh, and it is my favorite kind of living nightmare. Uh, and whenever I feel like, ooh, man, it's really hard to take Twin Peaks one week at a time when it's like not something you look forward to, I just think about, what if I had to watch two hours of something I really don't like every week? And it was the same every week. Yeah. So let's move on to this episode. Yeah, but did you appreciate the story? Yeah, it's a good story. It's not recommended to just listen to that while you're trying to go to sleep, and or yeah, while you are sleeping, because then subconsciously you're gonna sleep. And I had made—I just remember I had made plans to actually watch Grown Ups Two with a friend of mine this weekend, really? who's also a fan of the podcast, really? but that didn't come through. So All we'll right. have to stay postpone tuned for that. updates on that. Or, or or don't. I don't plan on doing a, a trip report on that. It's just gonna be like cool. There's gonna be a part that I know. And that I only think is funny because I've listened to that podcast. Seriously great. Tim Bat, Guy Montgomery. Good good dudes. Good Kiwis. Um, so, this is the episode that I personally have been waiting for your reaction to the entire course of us doing this show. Like, really? I think more so than the finale because I feel like I can anticipate a Twin Peaks fans reaction to the finale pretty Uh well okay but this one is uh it's it's um what did you think (laughs) um i mean this episode was just to lay all the cards on the table extremely poorly paced attempted Uh to wrap up the whole josie storyline and its many threads very quickly with very little like emotional resolution mm-hmm. um that's the big thing that sticks out in my mind um billy zane appears as a good-looking marble-mouthed man who yeah 
knew Audrey when she was a child and is now making sexual advances on her because that's that's always a good place to start. Let's speaking of good places to start, let's just start there. Let's just start there because one thing that this episode does incredibly poorly is introducing Billy Zane's character. Now, I have nothing against Billy Zane the man. And deciding that the next place to take Audrey is give Audrey another love interest while not the like you know far from the most interesting movie they could do could be handled a hell of a lot better than they do yeah. here which is to say he comes in it seems like they don't know each other mm-hmm. then he mentions having a photograph of Audrey dressed as Heidi from when Audrey was 10 and then there's this look on Sherilyn's face that I think is the look of an actor who isn't sure whether or not they're supposed to play oh i know who you are now or how do you know me like an actor who read the script is like it's not totally clear which of these two (laughs) reactions i'm supposed to have because me as the audience doesn't know what's going on either same and oh right it's just like recommitting the reason why they moved away from the Cooper Audrey plotline, oh, yeah. which is to say there's a at least a somewhat significant age gap here. Yes. If we're assuming that Jack, J- sorry, John Justice Wheeler. Uh, Maybe it's Jack. I think they, I think his nickname is Jack. I don't know. Anyway. Well, Billy Zane. Um, if we're assuming that Billy Zane's character was employed by Ben as a builder. So like, Unless, like, Ben was, like, straight up flaunting uh, uh, child labor laws and employing this kid when he was, like, 14. Like, he's at the very, very, very least got to be... Ten or more. I would say at very least eight years eight older than more. Audrey, yeah. which would still make him tw- 26. Numbers. Yeah, yeah, numbers. Um, Which, I mean, I guess, like... I guess then the thought rationalization there would be, you know, someone saying Cooper is in his like 30s, uh, but there's like there exists this line at which, no, it's OK. And whatever that line is, I guess we're supposed to, as the audience, take it as John Wheeler's there below that line. So it's OK. Well, half your age plus seven. So not even well. It, okay, it so. doesn't even qualify for half your age plus seven because half your age plus seven for someone who's twenty six would be twenty. Yeah, so and that's... Audrey is eighteen. They established that in this episode. Mm-hmm. A little like technically legal from the writers. Yeah, it's a, it man, it sucks. So that's all I have to say about the the relationship plotline. There's like some awkward things going on. Uh, I don't like, you know, how it's immediately just like Audrey's characterization is now like flustered and infatuated. Uh, yeah, for real. But it's also here to set up this other plot line, which I like a good deal more conceptually and also sort of an execution, which is that we've moved on past Ben's civil war phase into where they should have immediately moved, just left all that shit on the table into <laughs> Ben, the opportunistic fake environmentalist, which as goofy and of the times as it is watching uh richard bamer in that fucking excellent fila jacket i feel like the look of the episode fight me on this if you must we will fight on this uh but ben in that jacket just chomping on celery (laughs) is like 
as much of a re- too much of a return to form for Ben's character to expect after what a shit show the last plot line was. Very astute description of that whole transition from Civil War to fake environmentalist. Sorry, yeah. I just burped. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, Sponsored what, by Halls and Pentamin. Like all of our episodes. Um, what I was going to say, though, is like that scene with Billy Zane where he's like creeping Audrey out by being like, I have a picture of you from when you it's were It's really child. fucking confusing and creepy. It's okay, both. Which but is that's literally nuts. the premise of like all the spooky shit I read last night that creeped me out. Oh, God. That's how they all started. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that is by definition material for, like, a spooky story someone posts on the internet. Definitely. Definitely. Ask me anything. This man that my father employed as a, as a construction worker when I was 10 has re-entered my life and is creeping on me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, the pine weasel. Um, it has been so long now. Like, if if you had asked me when we started this, like hey matt like if you can outline the trajectory of ben um like what would it be and i'd be like well ben's like set up to be a bad guy and then you know he's involved with one of jacks and then there's this awful civil war plot line and then there's a whole pine weasel thing i would have like remembered that mm-hmm. but we've been in the thick of it at such a slow pace for so long, so long that i like forgot that that was what was next for ben's character and it was like a breath of fresh air it was like so welcome after how mm-hmm. abysmal it's been to have any ben scene for the last like several weeks yeah um because he's scheming and yes. it's just richard bamer scheming and being disingenuous and and using an 80s aesthetic once again yes uh one that i think is really dope i would wear that jacket in a heartbeat and i can see you wearing that jacket yeah but i don't i don't think i would even care if i thought i was pulling it off i would just wear it i think with my hair now i could pull it off though better than um yeah because it's just like it's just like you know it pushes to a, a louder, not bolder choice, but just a like a louder yeah, choice. Yeah, I then. think that's accurate. If it's me with just my plain old brown brown hair, no, it just looks like it looks like I made a f- mistake. <laughs> but it looks more intentional <laughs> if my hair is also how it is. And yeah, with the, with the hair and the jacket, you would look like someone who could work at Buffalo Exchange. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> that's all I've ever wanted in my personal looks uh but i think yeah just that fucking that power combo celery and jacket really good mm-hmm. um did you notice that uh david patrick kelly for some reason has a cut on his face yes and a bandage <laughs> and it's just like when did that happen is that an important so because that happens i think in the episode before ben later leaves and is like the chef just tried to stab Jerry, <laughs> which is a great <laughs> line. Uh, and like, again, it's such a pleasure to be with Ben this episode. But like, what do you think happened to Jerry? It's a good ass question. I want your personal theory. I want your head My cannon. personal theory. Okay. Um, let me think for a second. The chef. Um, I think... Jerry probably went into the kitchen and like attempted to like make a brie sandwich okay. and just like got up in there, broke a bunch of health code violation, broke a bunch of health codes mm-hmm. and got his ass kicked. Okay. I can see that. Maybe that's a deleted scene somewhere. Let's pretend yeah. it is. Yeah. Um. Also, um. so Ben is assembling his cabinet, right? Yeah. How do you feel about Audrey's, like, non-presence as a cabinet member? 
Um, she seems so listless in those scenes. It's a combination of, you know, well, it's not, you know, it's a combination of many things, which is like the, the part of this plot line that doesn't work, right? Like, because they have to carry forward Audrey having a stake in the business now, yep. which is something that they initiated and then like didn't really like fully think out or execute on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the loss of Ghostwood and then like, you know, being able to have David Patrick Kelly around for more episodes. And then also like, but we're also initiating this Audrey relationship. Like it's all these things that aren't themselves sorted. Yeah. Coming together to be like, but we need you all here in this room to listen to Ben's plan because we don't have a better way to introduce it. Like them being there isn't even important to Ben's just going to like raise hell. He's not like, and then like, here's what you're doing, Jerry. Here's what you're doing, Audrey. Like, no, he's not like, he's just there to like brag about how smart his new idea is. How fun would that scene be if it was just Ben and Jerry? It'd be super fun. It'd be super fun for one thing. So fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and then like Bobby and Audrey are like in the false wall, like listening in. Yeah, um, Bob, as he's known professionally, um, <laughs> not confusing at all. <laughs> Bob Briggs. Um, so yeah, right. Like I mean, I feel like we're both disappointed yeah. with like, you know, ever since they decided, ever since Audrey came back from One Eye Jacks. Yeah, it's like they have no idea what they wanted to do with her. Yeah, they put her sure. in these positions that are potentially interesting where she can, like, you know, exert her will and, like, make some serious, like, moves as would as would fit the season one Audrey who's, mm-hmm. like, fucking on it. Yeah. Uh, but then they just decide to not have her do much. The I want to return to an idea that I brought up previously. The whole, like, suspension thing is drawn out more appropriately to form the complete, like, yeah. back-end arc. Denise stays in town. Audrey apprentices with Denise. How amazing would that be? It would be a lot better. It would be a lot, a lot better. Um, for every, like, for every like great moment where it's like, oh, it's like Audrey and Bobby interacting and stuff like that. It's, like, fun to see the actors having fun. It's just, like, but the, pay, the payoff but isn't there. it's not a character arc yeah. at all. It's not, yeah. Um... So moving on from one stumbling point to another, uh, what would you like to discuss next? What sticks out in your head? Um, so there's some more background diversity at the Great Northern. I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. I also noticed that guy being like, fuck you. You don't know what this is. You don't know what this is like at all. Yeah. Um, and that guy, I wish I remember his um, incidental character's name. You know, I don't remember. They did put it on a name tag, but for all I know, it was completely influenced by what completed name tags they had sitting around in the props department. Um, But uh, any concierge at the Great Northern has seen some shit because we've seen that lobby packed with all sorts of unexplained conventions and groupings of weirdos and the and and oh my god! And then just like think about it, like just a couple weeks ago, Leland was in and out of there fucking singing and dancing up a storm <laughs> between crying fits that was like five days ago <laughs> yeah uh audrey is not prepared for just having to sit there and watch that mm-hmm. audrey's mm-hmm. like on top of it but that guy's right she doesn't know she's in for it. yeah i like that i don't i do not like that the great northern is like 
the the like place where they like slide in there. Yeah, that and the, that in the school. Non white characters mm-hmm. at the school. Who else? The the coach. You're right. Mm-hmm. The coach. Wrestling coach. Louis. Yeah. This guy. So, yeah. I mean, also weirdly sets up like then is like if Ben Horn is evil, is he the one person employing minorities <laughs> in Twin Peaks? <laughs> It's a good question. I mean, the thing is, like, I feel like you see this in, um, like, a lot of 90s, like, sitcoms and dramas where they're like, okay, so we have to, like, get some diversity up in here, but we can't let them be consequential characters. Yeah. Um, with any real presence whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's how that works, right? We just keep everyone on a pretty, like, low tier of importance and it counts. Yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't, it work, doesn't that work that way. Like that. Um, so, speaking of representation, Hawk is given something to do this week, and that is to be mean to the the like most pathetic person in all of Twin Peaks, who like really I think you know, except for being slimy later on in the episode, I think we can be done running Hank through the fucking mud now, <laughs> like because he's so inconsequential that he barely even deserves it at this point yeah that scene was very like all right we're done with hank jennings you're not going to be seeing him anymore bye-bye yeah uh so uh hawk is like oops oops i slipped i'm sorry um which like boy man after all that hank's been through just like one final like Here's you getting your ass kicked. Supposedly scariest criminal in town. <laughs> um, also, the scene gives us example one of two in this episode of Harry's unbelievable angry voice. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, can when... you actually refresh? I was thinking about something else that was happening in the episode. <laughs> uh it's more understated in this scene but when he reacts to hank uh uh you know saying what he says about josie okay you get that kind of that harry truman growl yeah that okay i do remember that if you were actually standing there in front of harry might in 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 a real life situation might come off as as a little intimidating because it seems unhinged Mm -hmm. but in the context of a tv show it's fucking goofy yeah yeah I was just laughing and thinking about the scene where Albert and Coop are like discussing Josie in the hallway and trying like not to tell. <laughs> Harry's just standing there. Harry. But like there's like this interesting like love theme that has like appeared in the second half of the second season playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And Harry looks like scorned and like stomps off and Coop like chases after him a little bit. And I completely forgot what kind of show I was watching when I first saw that. <laughs> <laughs> okay um stay tuned for for more more what's going on with harry what show am i watching uh as this as we discuss this episode um let's see what what do i have at the top of my list oh okay right above where i wrote down the very helpful note angry harry <laughs> um i have Wyndham earl just sitting there no real disguise, just like a beer <laughs> belly on underneath his shirt, like trucker hat, just you, hanging out. You fucking have to assume if you're Wyndham Earl that you know where Cooper is at all times. 
you also have to assume that Cooper has told nobody what you look like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, oh, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. This is a man who has a passion for disguises. Yeah. And it's like, whoops, the wardrobe department ran out of mustaches this week. Like, yeah. what? Because I don't think there's a convincing argument for like, oh, he wants to get caught all along. Do you think, here's here's my uh, thought. Do you think the wardrobe department just thought that the audience would be too dumb to realize it was Wyndham Earl? I don't think that they think the audience is too dumb. I think that they might be out of budget, out of time, and or generally lazy. Okay. I can also accept any of those answers, any or all of them. <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, Let's talk about... Um, Donna and James. <laughs> <laughs> what? Where do you want to start with that? Because uh, I have several notes on that scene. Um, um, my <laughs> big question is, what is the trajectory of this conversation? Why has it ended up the way that it has? Because it starts with Donna being like, please come back with me. And then it ends with, I've been connected to everything awful that's happened in town, which is true. Yeah. Can we just like for, stop for a second? Because when I rewatched this episode and saw that line, I like made an audible like noise, like a little whoop, like, oh, yes, you finally got it. Donna the Destroyer finally owns up to having had a hand in all the awful things. Um yeah i've it ends with them like making out like getting ready to to not not enjoy their picnic but just have sex out in whatever woods they're in right yeah. then uh but i guess james will still leave after that like what yeah that that scene makes literally no sense to me um here's here's something to ask you about uh in what situation does does James just get questioned and then they're like, you'll just be a witness? When when that <laughs> happens, in what situation does he not still, like, get bound under, like, you know, you're a suspect in this? Uh, or, like, a suspected accomplice or something? It's, it's funny that you ask that because I just re-listened to the first season of Serial. Okay. And that's what happens with Jay. Yeah. In the first season of Serial is like he should be charged with something and instead he gets immunity. Well, no, he does get charged, but he doesn't go to jail. Anyway, he gets off way too easily mm -hmm. in exchange for testimony. Yeah. And all I can tell you is it's a very unusual situation that usually points to corruption within a department and a weak case to begin with. Was this whole plot line happening in like Minnetowoc County? Like, did James hey. drive really far? <laughs> Topical humor about real life things that won't be funny at all. Nope. Um, yeah. But I do Way like to... Way to just date this podcast forever. That's funny. I can kind of imagine, like, a spinoff of that. Like, James, like, dealing with a really corrupt police department, but also being, like, the dumbest witness that they could have, like, chosen to falsify testimony with. <laughs> yeah. Like, really, just really not good at it at all. Um, so that's Donna and James. They're like, I guess they're done. And Donna comes back to Twin Peaks and is like, with that awful headband. And is just like, okay, I guess I'm gonna, you know, gonna follow this spooky note I got. 
Um, already, As I don't care about of, James. All of the ladies in Twin Peaks decide to do. Yeah. If I ever got a spooky note like that, I would call the police first of all. Mm-hmm. File a police report. Always do that so there's a record of the creepy thing that happened to you. Yeah. And then I would leave town. Yeah. Um, I just... Uh... Part of me really wants to like come up with some kind of in-world, uh, you know, explanation for why everyone in Twin Peaks is curious to like a severe fault. <laughs> Just like, nah, I kind of want to see how this is going to play <laughs> out. Like, why is it that everybody like, but it can't be that they're just bored because shit is happening around them all the That's time true. regardless. They don't need to then go like find more like creepy stuff to to get entangled in it's the spirit in the woods this is what the, this is what it does spirit in the woods gosh it must be um oh you know what we didn't talk about and i do want to circle back real quick yeah ben's senate run <laughs> just that comment <laughs> yeah like i hope that's his season three plot line is like he's a senator yeah that'd be cool right yeah like a little house of cardsy <laughs> um this is where I would make a like appropriate House of Cards joke if I'd ever watched that show. So, God damn it! Sorry, sorry, not sorry. House of Cards. What, the only people who tell me that I really need to watch House of Cards are the same people who tell me or who like look at me like I'm crazy because I never watched The West Wing. Um, the first season of House of Cards is really good. Okay, but see, you're you're already like making like reservations about it. It's the people who are just oh, like, yeah. I love House of Cards so fucking much. Who are also just like, I cannot believe you're not an Aaron Sorkin fan. I'm just like, you and I just don't see the world even close to the same way. That's true. You know no. who loves House of Cards? Who? My dad. Okay. Shout out to your dad. Shouts out to my dad. Um, he watched all three seasons in like 72 hours last year. Gosh. That's that's a lot. Um, Oh, boy. What do we... Well, I think at this point we have to talk about the marriage up proposal. Josie's plot line. You meant the marriage proposal, right? Wait, does Harry do that? No. Oh. Ed. Okay. Oh my god, I forgot. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> cover. <laughs> um Well, this is this is this is why is Hank in two scenes of this episode is mm-hmm. Ed is just like well, first, uh, Nadine is like, it's okay. Mike and I are in love, which is just like, oh we my gosh. We have not seen Mike willfully like. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, Nadine, in whatever state Nadine's in, which I guess Ed is assuming is just Nadine from here on out now, gives Ed her <laughs> blessing. <laughs> To go be with Norma and Ed's meet decision, which I guess if you're like 45 or whatever, like, and you've had this like whole like simmering affair thing going on for like 20 years, my, I guess it makes sense. It's just like, okay, we're going to get married now, right yeah. off the bat. Go talk to your deadbeat husband in jail and get him to agree to a divorce. And then we just get a final parting gift of Hank being the sniveling try hard, not even close to being effectively manipulative yeah. twerp he is. Yeah. Um, 
and then him doing his best Harry when he yells as Tormalee's <laughs> doing his best unbelievable angry voice. Yeah. Norma was, like, pretty badass, though. Norma is very good about, like, protecting her own emotions. Yeah. I think if we take away any lessons from the back end of the show is, like, be more like Norma. Be more like Norma. Norma has that fucking line, which is, I would rather be his whore than your wife. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, Hank should have just, like, disintegrated into a pile of ash. (laughs) That fucking, that cuts so, like... Very real. Yeah. Cuts so deep. Hank has not come back with anything because all he is is this, like, shitty patriarchal figure and like when you make that leap where you're just like i don't give a shit about what you say about me or what you think you're the worst that person should just like become a skeleton like right there um and it seems like for all intents and purposes he does yeah yeah and if not i mean the only thing that's in his future is more ass kicking so he doesn't have a lot to look forward to um i kind of wish norma was wearing sunglasses in this scene just put them on the shoes. For like, you know, parallel. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You got to get the parallels to the greatest prison uh, yeah. jail cell scene. Well, because it was clearly the same set and they were using very similar camera yeah. angles. So why not? Yeah. Do you think you can get much more creative than shot reverse shot with like bars in the way, though? Can you? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't go to film school. If you went to film school, please tweet us about how you would stage a jail cell scene in a more interesting way. Um, you can't say you do some Breaking Bad shit where you like film from below through like a glass floor or something. <laughs> it's not allowed. Um, was there anything? Oh, on the subject of Norma, though, Norma's sister is going to come to town. I know. I Heather Graham is coming. Why have we never heard about Norma's sister? Because she lives in a convent, and it is apparently pretty easy to leave a convent when you decide it's time. Uh, I'll accept it, I guess. Yeah. There was also that um, she's from another place in timeline. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not being subtle anymore, writers. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, But for real, though, for real, like, anything to establish the uh, idea of Norma having more family before this instance <laughs> would have worked better. Instead, it's yeah. just like, there's a new character coming, not this episode, but soon. And there you have like a pre-existing relationship. Like actually maybe just save it. Maybe just save yeah. the reveal of that relationship for when like the actor is actually there. Or like Norma's mom could have mentioned it. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. It was like, you know, why couldn't you be more like just your sister throw, and just go to the yeah, convent? Yeah, exactly. Just a throwaway <laughs> line like that. <laughs> I wouldn't judge you so hard if you were in a convent instead of running a diner. I don't know. <laughs> uh, My sister went to a convent to escape you. Like, yeah, you know, anything. Either of them. Anything. Um first episode shelly i like you so much because you remind me so much of my little sister (laughs) (laughs) she's a nun she's a nun maybe you should consider that bobby's like really not the greatest influence i know (laughs) i know i personally just flirted with him in the first episode but like maybe you should consider nunnery um okay now we gotta talk about josie which means more like talking about other people talking at Josie while Josie has a just yeah. like a rolling breakdown. Yeah. My immediate 
like the first thing that bothered me my first red flag in this episode regarding the storyline was when they rolled immediately into the andrew packard reveal mm-hmm. basically off of the heels of the thomas eckert reveal she yeah. does not get time to react to either of those things which should be like whole arcs in and of themselves yeah in fact she has a non-reaction of let's just have her faint because it's a surprise right <laughs> that's what people do in real life all the time they just faint spontaneously but it does get the plot moving along at a lightning speed, which is what they just maintain for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Um, so this is your first time seeing, and I alluded to it last week, basically the resolution of Josie's plot line. Yep. Which, in recent memory, like, it was only as far back as maybe like halfway through the run of episodes up to this point, Josie was like in a serious position of power yeah still somewhat in danger some kind of like implied danger um given her past but like was also making big moves yeah and then there's now yeah so is it time for like a like a post mortem of josie's character as a whole you think i i guess so i mean obviously i'm really disappointed with the direction they went um, I mean, she peaked in that scene with Ben Horn. That was amazing. Yeah. That was incredible. And that was, I think, both Jen's performance, Joan Chen's performance mm-hmm. and the writing um, that they gave her character. And then by this episode, they're giving her nothing to work with. Yeah. Like she says to Catherine, like, I feel like I'm going mad and I have no reason to believe that because we haven't seen Josie do anything but like serve Catherine's food and like let Thomas Eckert like hold her yeah. hand. We don't see, we don't see Josie put in a position where she would have been, like, confident and assertive prior to this, and then see the effects that these events are having on her. Mm-hmm. We instead see her being bossed around and being just reacting, to paraded in front of these like shitty white dudes mm-hmm. and dealing with Catherine's shitty attitude. Yeah, none of which like gives us a chance to see Josie in her natural state be flustered. Yeah. Instead, it's like, this is awful. Let me cry. Let me like, kind of like pull up my hair sort yeah. of thing, which is just like, it's not any, it's not good material to hand to, to your cast. Yeah. Um, and I'm also not totally convinced that like, she has to be in this position. Like, I don't get why she doesn't just like run away with harry in like a manipulative way that like saves her from the persecution of these two white men like why is that not an option to her no idea no fucking idea because the josie we saw trying to top ben horn in awfulness Mm -hmm. would have no problem just like flipping her hair at harry and like getting out of this situation yeah um not to mention so She's not being given a lot um, space to react um, mm-hmm. in a way that gives us much of a sense into her, like, her character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's being thrown at her doesn't make a lot of sense either. Yeah. Like the situation she is placed in. Why is Catherine like feigning to help? by? Like she's done that before. And at this point, Josie has no reason to believe her. Uh-huh. Like... That gun might as well be like like a Nerf gun in disguise. Yeah. A chromed, realistic looking Nerf gun. And yeah. just like Catherine being like, ha ha, I'm having a laugh at your expense. But no, I guess like 
So we have to like be like, okay, so we're gonna feed Josie to Eckert so Josie can kill Eckert if Josie so chooses. And we don't care if Josie dies. Yeah. You had Thomas Eckert over at your place just like a second ago. Yeah. So you don't care whether or not he dies. You just care whether or not Josie dies. But you don't want it to be that Josie kills Eckert and then runs away. Yeah. So not not smart move there, Catherine. No. Can you help me diagram what Andrew Packard's getting out of this situation? fucking good ass question because he claims that he was truly and madly like in love with Josie and that he's somehow like semi forgiving of her but also doesn't want to help her Mm -hmm. I really don't know if he's being motivated by like revenge or greed or like what at this point uh huh okay and then what does Eckerd want out of this situation Josie I think right but like why because she's like this exoticized beauty yes that's all i got from the script so his motivations make the most sense and are the most two-dimensional yes awesome awesome state of affairs we're in yeah now i see one faintly redeeming not redeeming it's not even close to redeeming one faint glimmer of something enjoyable coming out of this plot line mm-hmm. which weirdly enough comes in the scene where it's just you have to see these two shitty white men who we were introduced to a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. have their little chat yeah which is just uh andrew saying i'm alive <laughs> that was like kind of fun like i was kind was of into that delivery stupid and goofy. <laughs> like it's almost like those two i don't know what their prior like careers mm-hmm. were like what their past roles were they might be like respected character actors in their own right the only way i see it making sense that you go i'm alive is if you know that what you've been handed is a steaming pile of garbage imagine a whole episode of andrew packard just like coming up to people in twin peaks and being like i'm alive (laughs) (laughs) like i would have gladly swapped those two plots any day be really good um but their elevator showdown makes no sense none um to the point where eckard is like for the first like half of the conversation is like i don't actually believe that you're here like i think i'm freaking out and he's like no i really am though and it's like this is the (laughs) dumbest like cool is it like chill two two dudes who are so up their own asses that they can't actually like effectively act out their rivalry yeah what else would you expect (sighs) so there's one nice moment where they replicate the first shot of Josie. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, as then... if to be like, remember when? <laughs> remember when her character was interesting and mysterious? No, not at this point. Not at this point. It's been so long. Um, we talk a lot about like what we would rather have seen them do, which yeah. is not, which is not any easier with Josie's character and how it's handled. But like, since this is, this is, Joan Chen's last performance as Josie, save for some deleted scenes from Fire Walk with Me. Like, do you have any like Joan Chen specific thoughts? Like about what we do see on screen? 
I mean, it's hard to say, like, she has nothing to work with in this episode. Yeah. And um, I think, like, her performance reflects that. Like, it's hard for me to say, like, oh, she took these shitty lines and, like, made them amazing because no, they're not. And I don't blame her. No, not at all. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be fucking incredible to see someone manage that. Um, but uh, her murder outfit is a look. <laughs> okay all right that's the that's, that's that's what i was gonna fight you on re looks oh yeah you can have that you can have that if we're talking uh, about the look of the episode yeah yeah it's the murder um, outfit because when you get taken to jail you want to be wearing a good outfit for your mugshot exactly who wouldn't who wouldn't have that you gotta process? plan that far ahead um gosh like Prior to the like initiation of this plotline, when like when Josie disappears mm-hmm. um, to Seattle and then comes back and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, so the Seattle Post or whatever, yeah, uh, which ran the great headline: Asian man killed. Yes, uh, fucking bonkers. I paused the 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 show mm-hmm. on this watch to see if they were yet at a point where. They realized that people would pause to read what a newspaper oh. said, and they absolutely weren't. It's like legit gibberish, like non sentences, and then also paragraphs fully copied and pasted, like the same paragraph right underneath. If you stop to read the newspaper that That's Harry's inspecting, um, if you ever listen to like the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul podcasts, they have to write real yeah. articles every time they show a newspaper. Yeah. It's like, it's the norm now. Um, See that or you just decide, nope, we're not going to show this or we're only going to show the print information. It's a website with two sentences on it. Like, um, but also part of me likes to believe that maybe that's just how newspapers are in the world of Twin Peaks. (laughs) Maybe newspapers (laughs) are this inscrutable, like coded message that only in universe makes sense to people. I love that. Um, I think we should go with that. So maybe if we were to scour that newspaper, we would find, uh, you know, a mention of that sudden eyewitness who, mysterious eyewitness who just claims to have seen Josie on the scene, which prompts (laughs) Albert to be like, we got to do something. Oh, my God. Just like, yeah, no, you already were at the point. You got to do something. You don't need to further heighten the stakes here. Also, why does Cooper not care that Josie shot him? uh good question so that josie can end up in this last scene like i can believe like cooper like is about forgiveness and like whatever but they don't go that route they go with like he doesn't care it doesn't face him it doesn't register until the showdown yeah finally and maybe that code of newspaper can tell us exactly what the fuck happens to josie here because this is what I've been waiting to talk about with you for months now. Okay. Is Josie getting trapped in a drawer knob? <laughs> because this is the point when I was watching Twin Peaks the first time. And I was straight up binge watching it. I was like your dad on some House of Cards shit with this show. Only the only time I stopped to go wait a minute what and and think about it i've been watching the same season two we're watching now and yeah. this is the only time i stopped to go am i wasting my time with this 
was on the end of this episode. Like the closing final shot. Fair enough. I did not know that all of the furniture in Twin Peaks was apparently sentient. (laughs) Maybe Laura's trapped in a lamp somewhere. Oh my god. So, just like try and decode this. What what can we even say? That's like the most absurd choice that they could have gone with. Had they done a flash to like her in the red room, that would have been amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you get this brief moment of, oh, shit's, shit's back on track here. Mm-hmm. Like, we're coming off of an episode that closed Ben's dumb plot line. Yeah. And, you know, we ha- aren't, like, convinced of anything super strong happening yet. Mm-hmm. But we see the light turn on. Mm-hmm. And we see Bob crawl over the bed and go, mm-hmm. what's happening, Josie? And then we get, oh, it's the man from another place. Like, oh, oh shit. shit. Shit's, oh, like, shit. getting, yeah. like, real again. And then it immediately just throws that goodwill down the toilet for a nonsense vignette there. Well, additionally, Josie dies of literally nothing Mm -hmm. and strikes the most, I want to say, like, provocative death pose. It's weird. Yeah. No one one clutches themselves and falls over dead that way ever. Yeah, with, like, their legs splayed but also crossed (sighs) in that amazing murder outfit. So, it is not too much of a spoiler to say that we're pretty done with Josie and that we're not really going to have what happens here delve too deep into. So, in season three, she could be released from the knob? Possibly. Josie's, in, Josie's trapped in wood. Josie, Josie's essence is trapped in wood now. And... Bob is somehow connected to this transference. You know what I would have loved? What? Bob, like, using Josie as a host. Right? That would have been really good. Which also, like, in a way could be what they're implying. It's not that really doesn't... clear. Because here's the, here's the thing, is that there's not enough... Mm-hmm. The reason why this sucks so yeah. much, and it's not the CG, it's not the, the out-of-nowhere aspect of it, is that there's no breadcrumbs leading to a sensible interpretation of what we see is how, right. what I feel. There are people who insist that Josie's soul being trapped in the wood is an analog to the log, uh, to the log lady's log, that her husband, uh, his, you know, that, that it lends legitimacy to that because this is the audience getting a glimpse as to this, you know, transference actually happening. But it doesn't, but that's just like an example of one thing being similar to another thing. And it doesn't create like a dotted line where you can start to like see any kind of yeah. any kind of path of action happening here. Bob just shows up and is like, what happened? He like, does Bob even know? <laughs> <laughs> no. And now I'm picturing like Andrew, Bob is the audience. I'm picturing Andrew Packard walking around with like a nightstand drawer under his arm and like consulting with Josie yeah but we don't get that no like that'd be great but instead that'd be fun I really this is what we get want to believe that every dead person in Twin Peaks is trapped in furniture um I don't is the thing is <laughs> like this is this is the aesthetic or story choice of Twin Peaks that most ruffles my feathers because it just seems weird for the sake of weird and there is like 
And with other things, you can chalk it up to like the show's trying to be funny here. The show's trying to, you know, or, or it was an interesting premise that wasn't handled well. But the fact that this comes on the resolution of Josie's plotline, which isn't a resolution at all, yeah. and severely underutilizes Joan Chan and ruins that yeah. character. It also just like in universe is preposterous and lame and not really explained yeah. metaphorically or in any like interesting, you know, way, I guess. Yeah. Like did they did they really so desperately need that thirty seconds of airtime? Couldn't she have just died? <laughs> Couldn't she have just passed away? Couldn't you after you'd gotten the CG like reel back been like People are going to be, like, half terrified, half just, like, laughing their asses off at what this is. And this is the note we're ending the episode on. Like. Who okayed this? Who, who so signed here's, off on this? So here's the thing. I don't know. Um, and I forgot to take down a note of who wrote this episode. Trisha Brock. Trisha Brock, okay. Who wrote um, season two, episode ten. Uh... Whichever one that is. Okay, let me... Um, but we can assume that this is some kind of like, you know, maybe like angles, frost angle. And I say that, I say that because, I will say this. Josie was supposed to make an appearance in, an, in some form in the finale. Oh. And I won't be specific as to what that is. Um, but just like, you know... Um, season two, episode 10 was a dispute between brothers. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's, is that the episode where one of the, the, where the mayor's brother dies? Yes. And Donna finds uh, Laura's diary at Harold Smith's house. Dick God, Tremaine like is still in the picture. Yeah. What happened to Dick Tremaine? Oh, don't worry about it. You ain't seen the last of Dick Tremaine. Um, oh, and Nadine wakes up from her coma in that episode. God, that was ages ago. So Josie was meant to, you know, appear in the mm -hmm. finale. And they film that appearance for the finale. And then in the editing room, and keep in mind, the finale is directed by David Lynch. That appearance is cut. <laughs> okay. Almost like they're saying, forget that that ever happened. Was she... Don't answer this question. Was she appearing in the knob? Don't answer that question. I won't answer the question. I am just wondering out loud. Um, yeah. What what was your gut reaction to it though? Because like, I gave you my my remembered gut reaction <laughs> when I was like eighteen, watching this, being like, "What the f like, God, what an embarrassment." Yeah, it was very like, "What the fuck?" But I had felt that I had felt that way about most of the episode, but not quite at the magnitude that I felt when I saw josie's face appear in the knob yeah um and i think there was just a part of me that was like this is so absurd like i can't have a real feeling about it because this is so outside the realm of this tv show yeah They've i might gone so off the rails i might very well be belaboring the point um and being too nitpicky about something but that's just like that's just them throwing the rest of the show at this point under the bus being like you can't like you're still watching it you can't be so upset about the drawer knob thing because there's a million other things to be upset <laughs> yeah. about no but it definitely um, felt like jumping the shark it felt like they just established something that they can never recover from yeah they can't retcon it and like change someone's intentions or like 
you in, know. in series three, do I want like a detailed explanation of why what happened to Josie? No, that's like how like soured on it I am. Um, not least of which is also because of everything leading up to it. Like they will never. Recover. You can't redeem what you already did to Josie's character yeah. unless you like straight up retcon back to a point where it's like, oh, here's the f- like the fun to watch like uh, like scheming Josie who like has agency and yeah. is doing stuff uh of her yeah anyway yeah that uh, the spooky is back this I guess the spooky's back now I'm excited to see the spooky if it has indeed returned um well I mean you're going to get some Wyndham Earl being spooky okay that's not what I meant getting so... Leo to sharpen some arrows and stuff mm. you know that's spooky right Right? Right, Ashley? Off-brand Joker. Yeah. <laughs> like Dollar Tree Joker. Yeah. Um, who can't afford a real disguise anymore. Yeah. Um, props props again, though, to Eric DeRay for, like, just, like... Just putting in work. Just putting in <laughs> showing work. Showing up. <laughs> showing up and being, being Leo Johnson for another day. Um, I'm trying to see... Eckert's dead. That's the thing. He got shot. Goodbye, Thomas Eckert, I guess. R.I.P. Uh, yeah. Oh, this I I already I already set this up. Um, let me do my best impersonation of moment number two for Harry. Oh. Put it down. <laughs> <laughs> you just scared the shit out of your neighbors. Probably, probably did. Sorry, neighbors. Uh. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. You go straight from that to the drawer knob. Like, what the hell is? What the hell am I watching? He's like crying over Josie. <laughs> what if? What if Bob is an audience surrogate and has been the whole time? I love it. And he comes up and says, "What happened to Josie?" Because he just doesn't know. <laughs> and it like makes sense because oh, Bob, Bob, Bob killed Laura. Why? Because the audience wants a mystery to solve. Why did Bob inhabit the person he did? Because it creates this like tragic and complicated and messy story re- revolving around like incest and you know and why is it then like problematic and like not handled in like the most like you know like, like why is it then like you know it has to be this figure that also is going to be set up for sympathy because Bob is the audience that doesn't want to like actually confront these like real yeah. issues on a significant way they want to be yeah. like there's always a redeemable side to people because the audience doesn't isn't comfortable with like making real statements and now the audience is just like wait a minute i don't understand what just happened also why does that dude have a picture of audrey like that's the (laughs) next thing that bob is gonna come say like why was he why was audrey heidi (laughs) like (laughs) why was audrey heidi what was the context for that Coop, where's Dick Tremaine? <laughs> Have you seen him in a while? I thought I was supposed to care about him. Sorry. What's that sound? What is? What are you playing on your phone? No, I had IMDb open and it started playing a trailer. Oh God, what for? I think for the fifth season of sixth season of Community. Oh great. <laughs> um. Because Trisha Brock went on to direct an episode of community oh shit okay that's what i was gearing up for uh was it a you would know better than i do was it a good episode of community 
Um, it just says the year. It doesn't say the episode. I was just going to go through the list of stuff that she's directed yeah. because she has had quite the storied career after writing these two episodes. Okay. Do you want to do that? Sure. Okay. Orange is the New Black, three episodes of Mozart in the Jungle, Casual, Mr. Robot, Younger, The Mysteries of Laura, Girls, Us and Them. The Red Mysteries Band, of Laura? <laughs> yeah. Red Band Society, Black Box, Salem, Suburgatory, Silicon Valley, The Walking Dead, The Killing, Smash Community, Person of Interest, Royal Pains, Against the Wall, Friends with Benefits, White Collar, Hellcats, United States of Terra, Fairly Legal, 30 have Rock, dis- The Big C. Have we discussed her career before? Yeah, probably when uh, we talked about a dispute between brothers. Okay, we might have already run down this list before then. Pushing Daisies, Lipstick Jungle. There's a lot Breaking of good Bad, shit on there. The L Word. I liked Pushing Daisies. Me too. Um, Veronica Mars. But, oh boy. Sorry that you have this one to your name. Uh, I can't think of anything else that was like, you know, fun to talk about from this episode. Not really. It was, I told you, I had to watch this three times before I could like make mm-hmm. myself take notes and like care about what was happening at all. Um, so do you have used net stuff this week? A little bit. All right. Hit me. So I don't really have any direct quotes because this is the week that, um, Twin Peaks gets pulled off the air for an unscheduled hiatus, and people are pretty unsure if the rest of the season is going to air. Imagine um, if it had just ended here. So people are <laughs> organizing a letter-writing campaign to the head of Fox. Fox? I think, no, not 20th Century Fox. Now I'm thinking about the X-Files. To a person. ABC? Mm, maybe. I think it was a production company, not a network. Oh, okay. Um, but they're organizing a big letter writing campaign and they're all freaking out about whether or not the show is going to come back. Yeah. I would freak out too if I had stayed invested to this point and then they were just going to like end here. Yeah. I want to say that this is, um, a series low in ratings. Let me take a look. Cause they got like 7 million viewers down from like 36 at the pilot. Yeah. And then they get a slight jump when they do come back. And then, nope. Oh, they can... This might be the series low. Hmm. um, No, not quite. It's very close. Well, um, I'm just itching to hear what what Usenet thought about the conclusion of this episode. And and also, if anybody else was... um, as enamored with uh the pine weasel plot line as i tentatively am not a lot of comments on the pine weasel plot line there was some debate about whether the door thing was like or the knob thing was all cgi or whether joan chen was like stretching her face through latex does not look like that and then someone commented and was like my boyfriend's brother did the CGI. I'll, like, arrange for him to, like, answer questions for you guys. And I did not see a follow-up to that at all. <laughs> that person was like, I don't want to be known for this work. <laughs> Very um, probable. So that's it from that's, Usenet? That's all I got this week. Any other interesting production notes? We talked about Trisha. Uh, um, Leslie Linka Glotter directed okay. this episode. She's directed a number of episodes before. Yeah. Um, I think just... Quality-wise, they're on a downward slide that no one could save at this point. 
Um, but people will try. People will try. We'll see. Um, we have we have Annie on the way. I'm gonna arrive. We have the gathering of the angels, which is Wyndham's next move. We do get a little bit of Pete, a little bit of Pete, just like being his, a chess genius, doing his chess thing, and that's you know gonna be ongoing. But yeah. like clearing the stage so that they can give you more Wyndham Earl is like not not strong yeah. right now. Well, it's interesting because they did basically about twenty episodes on the topic of the Laura mystery and then we just kind of ended about a five episode arc of like the civil war plot line what's up with Josie James is out of town like those three things that no one cares about and like also kind of Dick Tremaine and now we're just rolling into a fresh set of plot lines that I also don't care about yeah uh we have like several more episodes of this show left yes love it I'm going to be real. I don't think I was missing out on anything. Um, we're not, we're not fully out of like things that are worth seeing things that, that that you, that you will be like, you, you, by the end of this, you'll be glad that you saw all of Twin Peaks. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I still feel like I made the right choice originally. Um, definitely if you, if what you wanted out of it was a, like, an unfettered enthusiasm about the show yeah you organized viewings you like got really into it you were like matt we're gonna do this podcast i'm gonna make you do this podcast and i was like ashley you don't understand how like how we're both gonna feel but um hey i'm still like i'm still here taking a week at a time still excited about new new episodes like this show does even in its darkest lamest most inscrutable deaths give you something that when other shows try to do the same thing doesn't seem doesn't seem to grab and i think part of it is just like it's a little it's a little retro it's a little bit like i'm 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 at all points you're kind of watching this thing that's like you know maybe maybe just on the edge of being too old for consideration like it's like you know it's a historical artifact in a way where it's like okay so mark frost's show before this was that hill street blues mm-hmm. uh it's like okay that's a, like an actual serialized plot line and like television drama and this shows then like breaking those rules like just as soon as they've been like you know starting to be hashed out mm-hmm. uh and so you know you gotta watch it because it's like the first time people are making these fucking awful decisions and like putting their <laughs> show down the toilet. It's just a preview of Lost. Um. <laughs> yeah. Lost's major innovation uh, to the formula of letting your show uh, slowly wither and die um, was that it did a better job of uh, keeping the wheels on. Um. Like the car, the car, like the, 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 like the bottom would rust out and the windows would get busted and the radio stopped working or maybe someone stole the radio. All these various pieces that were the shiny car <laughs> of Lost at the beginning, they're all gone, but the car like can still go somewhere by the end of it. Twin Peaks is one, one day you're staring at this beautiful cherry red Cadillac 
mm-hmm. uh, that David Lynch has like meticulously like he's either restored it himself or he like has it's always been that way. It's like this beautiful gem he found yeah. and is like yeah. sharing with the world. He's like taking it to car shows everywhere, and then you're excited to see it. Like you've gone and seen this car so many times. Okay. And then you walk into the garage one day and it's everything's gone and it's on cinder blocks. <laughs> Someone has stripped it of all of the good stuff. So what is it left with? Because the exterior is not looking great at this point. What it's left with is that it's still a frame. And you okay. hope that maybe one day you can build the frame back up to as good as it was. Okay. And with Firewalk with me, David Lynch starts that process. But he makes a really spooky, unsettling car as the end result. <laughs> that was like, you're like, oh, this is like good, but it's like not the same. This car, like, this car is like going to keep me up at night. Yes. I'm hyped for that. Yeah. The spooky's not back yet, Ashley. The spooky is back. And then some when we finally get to the movie. Yes. Um, Anyway, any other closing thoughts on this week's episode or where you think, where where do you think we're going to go next? Because this is us going into what is, I think, fair to characterize as the last block of episodes, like the last, you know, Yeah, it's only like six more to go. Um, So they're going to try to give us Coop and Annie. They're going to try to get us behind Audrey and John Justice Billy Zane. Billy Zane. (laughs) Did you know he's bald now? Yeah, he is. He's very bald now. It's incredible because, like, when you see him bald, he looks like Jason Jason Statham bald, where you're like, he's always been like that. Of course he's always been like that. Then you see him with hair, and you're like, that's a different person. Yeah, very much. In any case, so that, I guess Harry's going to be sad. Like, he's been doing a lot of that lately. Will we get more Dick Tremaine? They will probably run out of stuff to do. Um, They'll do more Ed and Norma, I guess. That'll keep happening. No one's going to remember Laura by the end of this series. We're never going to see Sarah Palmer again. Um, Donna and James are going to get back together because they have literally nothing to do apart. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other um, characters I want to Doc Hayward on. is going to keep Con- showing up, continue keep to be getting around. invited. Um, Coop is going to continue to wear casual clothes, I think. Okay. And like pretend fish in his bed. That's a great moment. That is a little, a nice yeah, little. Yeah, that was nice. Um, and we did get a mention of Laura this episode. Donna did add Laura, <laughs> like, explicitly call out Laura and her list of victims that she recites uh, to James. But that's what Laura is at this point. She's, like, one of Donna's victims. She's not, like, the central mystery behind the show. Yeah. Which is a shame. We're going to get so much fucking Wyndham Earl. Mm-hmm. Not here for that. What do you think Wyndham Earl's plan is? I want to hear what you think his plan is right now. Um, So he's trying to get all the ladies of Twin Peaks, which to me feels like, from a writer's perspective, like, these are the characters people care about. We got to get them all together. We got to figure this mm-hmm. out somehow. Um, So they're going to do that. And then somehow, like, the men of Twin Peaks are going to be involved. Like, Bobby, I think Coop, and um, James, I guess, are like the beloveds or whatever um i'll give you two of three there okay oh maybe john wheeler no i was talking about just like beloved meaning uh (laughs) 
characters people care about. Oh, no. I meant, yeah. like, the... I see. Yeah. Significant others of the characters people care about. Um, I know he's going to go after Annie. That's, like, why they're bringing her into the show is to have another Carolyn for Cooper or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. Was it a little creepy that just from seeing the, the mask, Harry's like, she was beautiful. And then About he's like, Carolyn. she was the love of my life. <laughs> As if we needed another reiteration of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cooper, did you have a life before, after Carolyn? Apparently not. We've seen just, most of it. What's, but... Put yourself in the shoes of low-rent Joker, Wyndham Earl. Okay. What's your next taunt to Cooper? Because your most recent taunt has been creepy mask. In the bed. Mask. What's your next He's already psycho done taunt? The wedding dress. Mm-hmm. Um, like fridging a woman. That's like the next step. Ugh. Yeah. Probably. Probably. I can't say that with certainty, but like probably. Okay. Um, it. I am surprised by how hazy my recollection is at this point. I have only watched these episodes twice before. Mm, um. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've I've I think I've seen the first chunk of the show. Maybe like four or five times, but the oh, back yeah. half only twice before. Because it's so easy to stop. Pretty easy to stop. Just like we're going to stop this episode of the podcast. I want to thank you all for listening uh, to this week's episode. And hopefully at this point, you'll stick with us to the end. <laughs> um, I can be found on Twitter. It's at Matthew Olson. Spell it right. Uh, and you can find my other podcast I do with my friend Caitlin Best called Can You Get To That? uh on itunes just search can you get to that i'll give that as the how to find it plug this week and our most recent topic at the time this episode being uploaded was the bohemian grove um oh shit wait i have to talk to you about this off the air <laughs> off the air okay um it's it's a powerful old white men's club and uh, it's so fucking crazy like if you don't know what that is you should go to wikipedia right now and then you'll be like why don't i know about this and that is an important question we all need to ask ourselves yeah we all need to know, ask ourselves why why don't we know about all these shitty secret societies where people in power just get up to some fucked up business yeah um but uh i think we actually spent um most of our episode on that subject talking about anything but it <laughs> it's hard it's hard to try and f- track down a link to a secret society on wikipedia turns out oh, um one one would guess yeah so that's my spiel what's up all right um you can find me on twitter at ashley brant um i think i didn't tweet this but i'm gonna tweet this there's a um Someone found a nonprofit in Flint that's um, providing water to undocumented people. Um, so if you guys are listening and are in the charitable mood, you should donate some clean water to the people of Flint, Michigan. I know that a lot of water stations currently have an ID requirement um, that makes it very difficult for undocumented people to get clean water. Yeah, uh, that's a super terrifying situation that says... A lot about a lot of the systemic ills that our nation uh, perpetuates and has not dealt with. Uh, so yeah. help out if yeah. you can, or at least like at the very least educate yourself on it, um, because unfortunately this is far from the last time we're going to see some kind of like disaster like this happen that especially impacts um, communities that are not as well Disenf- respected. Yeah, and, disenfranchised yeah. communities. 
um the church is saint mary's church they are they're giving out water without the id requirement so definitely think about giving to them if you're in a position to do that um i host a couple of other podcasts called the k-hole about keeping up with the kardashians what's the big kardashian news this week what's the big drama from the latest um, episode well, the episode's airing right now, so I haven't oh, okay. watched it yet. Um, Kylie Jenner has apparently had a Cartier bracelet stuck on her wrist for like four years. Those bracelets are each like $25,000. So it's been stuck? On her wrist for four years. Like she hasn't taken it off because she can't. Yeah, there's like a key that you use to like unhinge the bangles and it won't come off. What? Yeah. Does she shower with like a plastic bag over her hand or something? I mean, it's like $25,000 worth of gold. I'm sure she doesn't have to worry about it turning her wrist green. Fuck. Okay. So that's the news. (laughs) That's the Kardashian news. That, (laughs) I'm sorry, like, I really want to, like, be open to, like, investing more in their life. But, like, when the news is, like, has expensive piece of jewelry that they forgot the key to... (laughs) Yeah, um, and they're also, the sisters are, like, in the studio as Swish is being finished. They're, like, uploading ah, yeah. some selfies on Instagram. Cool. Um, I also host a podcast called, um, yeah, I've seen that, where we talk about movies. My co-host is taking her qual right now, so we are on a little pause. Yeah. But power to her. I have an upcoming podcast with my dad about true crime. Have you Once... picked out a name for that one yet? My dad suggested legal tilt, and I was like, no. <laughs> Why not? Um, I think that's a little too, like, law school student-y. Okay. I, uh, Do you right, want I'll, it to be called that? I'll give you two pitches. Because okay. I pitched the name for, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you did. Um, so I've got a good track record so far. Uh, all right. Um, I'll give you uh, one... Uh, nolo contendere. It's a legal term. It's a Latin term, I okay. believe, that okay. I learned okay. when I was like 12. Uh, it's just like, it, it kind of has this air of like, what's that mean? Yeah. I'll click on that, see what that's about. Um, or, and this is my golden suggestion that I think uh, is just an A-plus winner. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Cereal, but better. <laughs> Try that. Just go, just like... You know what? Fucking aim for the king. That's the only way to get to the top. Um, I like it. All right. Too bad there's already a podcast called Serial Serial. What? There is a podcast called Serial Serial. Like? It's the, a- the AV club is behind it. It's not very good. Ooh. Yikes. Well, you're going to need to, you're going to need to stand up for your opinions, even if they're even if they're anti-AV club, if you really want to, like... I'm just saying... <laughs> reach that plateau. The podcast has low ratings. That is what <laughs> I was saying. Uh, AV club's not very good these days, anyway. Um, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, I read that when you had Grantland for all those years. Ooh! Um, R.I.P. All right. Uh, on that note, this has been a shorter episode... And I feel like we've stretched it out so long. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, Can you please close us out? Don't forget to brush your teeth, Harriet.